0: Thank you for listening to the Rivers Church podcast with Pastor Andre and the Rivers team. Be sure to subscribe for a weekly dose of encouragement and inspiration to help your daily life. We pray that this message will help in whatever season of life you might be in. Many of you would know of the fortress called Masada that is just near the Dead Sea, uh, the coast of the Dead Sea in Israel. An amazing fortress was built there. 434 meters above uh, sea level, an impregnable area. I think it is 18 acres that uh, comprises the whole top area, Uh, seven hectares, that is, and so it's quite a large area. And it was originally settled, uh, they had a settlement up there in 900 BC. It became Herod the Great's fortress, and he built two beautiful palaces up there, one with several levels, and while he reigned from 37 Uh, to 4 BC, he made it his royal citadel. And uh, they had such sophisticated systems there. They actually brought, listen to this, 750,000 liters of water to that place via aqueducts. Amazing engineering. But Herod died, and when he died, the Romans took over that area and ran it. But the zealots, uh, they were were a sect who were staunchly opposed to Rome, a fanatical, Uh, uh, Jewish sect, they took over the mountain, and uh, they stormed it in AD 66, and took it by surprise, and then they held that fortress, and wouldn't let the Romans come up there, and uh, the interesting fact here is that the zealots, after the fall of Jerusalem in AD 70, made it their home, and the Romans came, 20, uh, sorry, 15,000 of them besieged that fortress, and for one year, they couldn't get into it. Only a thousand people were up there, but 15,000 soldiers couldn't invade it. So it was what we would call an impregnable stronghold or fortress. And uh, finally, when it got to the crunch and the Romans started to kill off the people, the rest of the zealots committed suicide. They murdered themselves. And the Romans eventually came over the ramparts, they built siege works, And when they finally invaded Masada, listen to this, only two women and five children survived. The Arabs named it as saba which means the accursed. You know, the story is quite powerful because sometimes strongholds can exist in our lives and they're places of resistance where we hold out. But they're actually accursed places. We won't yield an area to God, and we want to control it and dominate it, and it can end up being a place that's cursed in our lives. It's a strong and fortified place, a dark place where no light gets in, and the enemy kind of has a stronghold there. It is not demon possession, but it's a portion of your life where you will not yield, and you defend it, and will not let God have full reign over it. The Romans controlled Palestine and Jerusalem, but not Masada. And sometimes in our lives, the Lord controls most of it, but there's some strongholds that we have, and we need to let those strongholds come down. I want to speak to you today on how to break free from strongholds. How to break free from strongholds. They get formed in our lives over a period of time. Bad habits, yielding to sin, disobedience indulging the flesh and saying, well, I still serve God. I still know the Lord. And we live an undisciplined life, undisciplined habits. And it leads to a stronghold which then damages our lives and limits our potential. Stronghold is a place that will keep you from becoming all that God wants from you. Signs of strongholds in your life are important. They're compulsions in us or obsessions or if you like the horrible word lusts or jealousies that you just can't get rid of, violent tempers, deep fears, all kinds of addictions, alcohol, drugs, gambling, dare I say it, at Rivers Church. You'd be amazed at what can trap people. We knew of someone who was in leadership, a woman in leadership with her husband, and they were quite wealthy people, very, very successful, traveled the world, but she developed a gambling stronghold in her life. I mean, they had money, and, uh, and it ruined them. She ended up gambling away several of their properties and eventually committing suicide. A Christian person. So we've got to watch out for strongholds because they will ruin us, or uncontrolled appetites. Appetite is a thing God's given us, but when they're out of control, they can create strongholds in our lives. And what people often say is, I've tried to control that, but I can't seem to get on top of it. And we need to realize that as Christians, we can be baptized, we can be believers, we can be followers of Jesus, we can be people who, who love the Lord, but there can be a stronghold in our lives. Can you say amen? Because there's a deathly silence that has descended upon this early morning congregation. Let me give you an example of this, and I want to go to great pains to express that the devil cannot get into your life. You build strongholds. It's almost like a fortress where you don't let God in. Are you with me? That you don't have the devil in you and God in you. That's not how it works. I want to show you here from Acts chapter 8 as I introduce the message. And I'll talk quite a bit before I give you some practical ways here that you can deal with this. Uh, but Acts chapter 8, Simon was a man who, who uh, was a sorcerer and he then uh, had a transformation in his life. But he had strongholds in his life that weren't dealt with when he got saved. And it tells us here in Acts 8, Simon himself believed and was baptized, and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. But then he got to a place where he said, hey, you guys are laying hands on people, and they're getting the Holy Spirit. Can I give you money so I can have that too? Almost an innocent thing. But we see here that Peter responds with great strength and authority. He says to Simon, repent of this wickedness, and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you. You don't see overflowing grace here. You see a warning here. And then God's word translation of verse 23 says, I can see that you are bitter with jealousy and wrapped up in your evil ways. There's like a fortress in his life that hasn't been healed. In fact, the word "there's" the stronghold, is like a military term soldiers would use. Typical of Masada, where there's an area in your life you're following, you're baptized, but you're holding onto that. And it's not allowing you to grow. Now, when we look at the children of Israel, we, we see this picture, and I want to paint this picture before we go further. We see Israel being told that when they go into the land of Canaan, they will possess all the land. How many you remember that? The Lord said, go in and drive out the tribes and take possession. But the Bible tells us they went into the inheritance, but some of the tribes had strongholds. They possessed it. And Israel tolerated it. And that is a picture often of us. God's called you into freedom, but you tolerate things in your life that are actually your enemies. In the book of Judges, we read about this. Uh, it says, but Manasseh, the tribe of Manasseh, did not drive out the people of Bethshan, or Tanakh, or Dor, or Iblim or Megiddo, and their surrounding settlements, for the Canaanites were determined to live in that land. It's like the devil does not want to let go. When Israel became strong... They pressed the Canaanites into forced labor, but never drove them out completely. It's up to you what you allow. And what you, det- you've got to be more determined than the enemy. You've got to be more determined than your appetites, more determined than your habits, more determined than your flesh. Or it will rule you because it is strong. In fact, when you read the whole book of Judges, Zebulun, Asher, Dan, Naphtali, they all, even the tribe of Joseph, they were ruled by these, these pockets of strongholds. And, uh, and instead of enjoying the land completely, they, they, they were dominated. But whenever they grew strong and were determined, they overcame. And that's a picture for us. And I'll give you some things to do practically. Judges 1, it says, and the Amorites were determined to hold out in Mount Heres, Agilon, Shalbim. But when the power of the tribes of Joseph increased, They too were pressed into forced labor. You've got to be determined. You've got to be determined. And unless you're determined, it won't happen. You know, if you think back to World War II, when the Americans were drawn into the war because of the bombing of Pearl Harbor, they didn't want to enter the war. They kept trying to avoid it. But the Japanese came and they were invading Asia. They had this imperialistic domination and they wanted to conquer that whole of that world. And the Americans were then drawn into the war. In order for them to get to Japan and to stop Japan from its expansionist ideals, they had to first conquer certain islands as they were bases. There were a lot of them. i take the time to mention them. But one of the key ones was Iwo Jima. And Iwo Jima had a, a place where they could land their bombers, and then from there they could go to Japan and bomb Japan. So it was quite strategic. But when they went there, they thought it would be quite easy, this deserted island in the middle of the Pacific. How simple was this going to be? But unfortunately, what the Japanese had done, and it's like a picture of the devil, is they had made tunnels and burrowed underground and formed an entire network through the whole island. So whenever the soldiers came, they just ducked in there and ran and then popped out somewhere else. And they were determined to hold this little piece of land as a stronghold. And the battle went on for 36 days. Americans lost 7,000 men on that bare strip of ground and uh, 24,000 of them were wounded because they kept going into these caves and then coming out and shooting them. Um, In the end, the Japanese lost 22,000 and only 216 of them were captured. And eventually the Americans raised the flag on Iwo Jima, that famous picture where they conquered it, went around the world but it's because there's a stronghold there, and the devil does that. He's like, I won't give it to you. You're going to have to fight for it, and we need to know that we need to do this, and the enemy did, did, did overcome Israel eventually. The Bible tells us in the book of Judges later on in chapter 6, and you all know this so well. Are you all with me this morning? Because this is a very important picture here. It says in Judges 6, because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters For themselves in mountain cliffs caves and strongholds so that small stronghold that they had grew into such a big domination that the enemy ended up living in holes in the ground god does not want you to be living in little pockets of blessing as an underground christian he wants you to be determined to overcome and it is possible to get victory over drugs alcohol sexuality gambling all the things that want to dominate us We've got to rise up and say, no, in Jesus' name. I want to remind you in Judges 6 that when the Lord came to the children of Israel and spoke to Gideon, notice his words. He doesn't speak to him as a weak man. He says in Judges, then the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon. He said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Well, how can he be with you if you're living in a hole in the ground? You see, no matter how the enemy dominates you, God is still with you, and he wants to draw out of you strength and grace and a spirit of an overcomer, pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us, we skip to verse 14, the Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have, and save Israel out of Midian's hand, am I not sending you, And we see the despondent Gideon, becoming a dependent Gideon, and conquering the enemy, And victory is brought to Israel. God wants you to do that today. You're in a hole. There's a stronghold in your life. You feel like God's deserted you. You feel like the Lord's not with you. And he says, come on, rise up. You can do this today. You can break free from any stronghold in your life. In Jesus' name. Let me give you six things today that you can do. Number one, be willing to starve them and not feed them. Whatever's in your life and dominating you, starve them. But notice, I didn't just say starve them and don't feed them. Be willing to starve them and not feed them. You've got to be brutal about this, determined. George MacDonald, the wonderful Christian author, said, There is no heaven with a little of hell in it. No plan to retain this or that of the devil in our hearts or our pockets. Out Satan must go every hair and feather. Don't you like that? Real old language, eh? But what he's saying is the enemy wants to control little spots, and you've got to be determined to starve him out. And whose kingship and rule are you accepting? Are you accepting the flesh? Or you, you're saying, I can't? Or you're saying, Lord, help me. I'm determined that you will give me victory. Jesus, in speaking about going to war and, and, and making sure that you overcome tells a story or a kind of parabolic story in Luke 14. And he speaks to his uh, disciples and says, uh, or or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Will he not first sit down and consider whether he is able? You see, your attitude before you undertake something is very important. You've got to sit here in this meeting today and say, I will do it. In Jesus' name, with God's help and through his word. I will. Got to be determined. And he says, with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him, with 20,000. Even if the odds are against you, if he's not able, you'll send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and ask for terms of peace. In the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. In other words, there's got to be total surrender if you want victory. You can't kind of, well, I'll see next week if it crops up again, you know, my friends phone me and say, come to Monte Cassino, you know, I think the house is on our side. If you're into gambling, can you come talk to me in the foyer? Because I'll just give you a little bit of advice. Simply this, the house always wins. You never see, you see all kinds of companies bankrupt, but you never see casinos. Because it's rigged in their favor. And if you believe in lady luck, you can't believe in the Lord Jesus. Because lady luck and Lord Jesus. And I'm not being condescending. I just want you to realize you've got to think. And you've got to be determined, cut the supply line. Stop feeding the thing, because what we feed will rule. And you've got to starve it. Proverbs 25 and verse 20 gives us this principle. It says, without wood, a fire goes out. Without gossip, a quarrel dies down. The flesh will rule as long as you feed it. That thing will rule in your life as long as you give it sway. Sometimes TV can be a stronghold in your life. You say, Pastor, you sound so old-fashioned. Yes, it gets a grip on you. And you feed yourself with that stuff, and in your mind, it's not, not necessarily watching evil things, but your mind's got no room for God or His word or His thinking. Then, when you come to a time of temptation, all you've got in there is that. You haven't got any reserves coming out of you. And you've got to be, you've got to be determined to starve something if you want to have victory. If you want to stop eating chocolate, you've got to stop eating chocolate. Ask me. Some of you may remember I shared this, I think, a couple of years ago, maybe 10 years ago. It's called Life in 10 Frames. And this is how we live our lives and our flesh. And, uh, and I'll read it to you. It says, frame one, I will take a drive, but not near the supermarket. Frame two, I will drive by the supermarket, but not go to it. Frame three, I will walk in, but not go down the sweet aisle. Frame four, I will look at the sweets and chocolates, but not buy any. Frame five, I will pick up some, but not buy them. Frame six, I will buy them, but not open them. Frame seven, I will open it and just smell it. Frame eight, I will taste it, but not eat it. Frame nine, eat, 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 eat. Frame 10, why did I get into my car in the first place? See, Israel went in and occupied the land and they allowed the enemies to feed and live there. And in the end, they overtook them and put them in holes in the ground. We must not allow that to happen. Numbers chapter 33 says, but if you do not drive out the inhabitants inhabitants of the land, those you allow to remain will become barbs in your eyes and thorns in your sides and they will give you trouble in the land where you live. You've got to be determined. And can I say this? Our flesh is being fed 24-7. Television, adverts, it's feeding you. You are worth it. Spend the money. And some of you, you might be facing a very difficult January because you let your flesh get the better of your mind. Amen? You know, when you get to the end of the month and there's no money, don't blame your boss. You spent it. You ate it. You ordered that starter, and then you ordered a second something to drink. And you went out and you said this, it's holidays. Yeah, you get to the end of January and you're so broke that your January salary pays the broke and then you're broke in February. It's, you've, got to, you've, got to t- you've got to rule yourself. Come on, can I speak to you? You've got to rule yourself. It's not easy. But when you get rid of strongholds, if freedom comes, you rule, you're not being ruled. And that's God's plan for your life. A wonderful man by the name of Pastor Kent Hughes, He wrote a wonderful book, he wrote two books, one for women, one for men. He wrote Disciplines of a Godly Man, way back in 2014. And he said this, he said, sensuality is easily the biggest obstacle to godliness among men today, and is wreaking havoc in the church. Godliness and sensuality are mutually exclusive, and those in the grasp of sensuality can never rise to godliness while in its sweaty grip. If we are to discipline ourselves for the purpose of godliness, he quotes 1 Timothy 4, 7, we must begin with the discipline of purity. There has to be some holy heat, some holy sweat. In other words, it's not going to fall into your lap. What does he mean by sensuality? It's all sex. No, no. Sensuality is anything to do with the senses. If they are alive, they will trap us. And We need some holy heat, some holy sweat. Starve them. Don't feed them. But you've got to be willing. Number two, drive them out with the help of truth and others. Drive them out with the help of truth and others. See, you can't just use the word. You need other people to help you. It's a wonderful story here in 1 Samuel chapter 23, and I like to do everything from the word so that you're not getting my opinion, but just my comments from the scriptures. But Abimelech goes up into a city, the city of Shechem, and they create like a stronghold, but he's determined to conquer it. And uh, he takes uh, with him uh, strength, but he also relies on other people. And I want to read it to you. It says, And Abimelech fought against the city all that day. He captured the city and killed the people who were in it. And he raised the city and sowed it with salt. Salt always speaks of holiness and goodness and purity and, and strength he says, when all the leaders of the tower of Shechem heard it, they entered the stronghold of the house of Elbereth, so the city was raised, but they went into this tower, and they tried to keep a pocket, and preserve it, Abimelech was told that all the leaders of the tower of Shechem were gathered together, and Abimelech took an axe in his hand, and cut down a bundle of brushwood, and took it up, and laid it on his shoulder, Then he said to the men who were with him, see, you've got to to bring other people with you. What you have seen me do, hurry and do as I have done. So every one of the people cut down his bundle and followed Abimelech and put it against the stronghold. And they, plural, set the stronghold on fire over them so that all the people of the Tower of Shechem also died, about a thousand men and women. How many of you know we need to be determined, but we need people with us who are determined too. They help us in our connect group and in our church life. Come to church. No, I've this is what people say. Uh, come to church. Well, I see you on Sunday at this new 745. No, I've, I've been struggling for two weeks. That's exactly why you need to come. And you need to help them come. You need to go and fetch them if need be because we need each other, but we also need the word. And they took salt and they used fire. And those are two analogies of the word of God both uh, salty to, to, to spice our life and keep it strong. Jeremiah 23, is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks a rock in pieces. We need sound teaching, and we need the word of God, but we need the support of friends. And you must use the word when your life is overcome by habits, by sins, by strongholds. You've got to quote the word to yourself. Now, don't be weird. I speak to me and I tell me you must stop doing this. no. You must stop doing it. You quote the word so that you remember what you're supposed to do. There's so many weird practices in the Christian world that it's quite scary. And not everything you watch on Christian television is sound. Christian television exists to full slots. It's a business. So when you watch certain Christian channels, thank God for them, go, mm, 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 Amen? Don't just swallow it, and when you get the word sound in your life, and you've got friends quoting the word around you, then you can pull down strongholds. Let me remind you of 2 Corinthians 10. Are you good with all the scripture this morning? Because this teaches us what we must do. You'll see the we's in here. The weapons we fight with, Paul says, are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments, and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ, and we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete, can you see, we have a responsibility to respond strongly and firmly, to deal with strongholds, and we need friends around us, because what happens is when you get a stronghold, this is what happens when you get a stronghold in your mind, it's not so bad, I'm gambling, but I, and I use gambling as an illustration because it, it came to mind yesterday. I felt it was of the Lord. It, it's, it's not, it's not like, a, like a. You go there and you put a bit of money down. If you win, well, I won. And then I even gave some in the offering. You can just. I've got this problem, but you must see so and so. I might have a bit of a lust problem at so and so. He stole money from his company, and I see him. He still sits there at the back of the rivers. It's got no scar. So we build strongholds to justify our strongholds instead of being brutal and saying to others, help me. Number three, is this helping you today? Put on the full armor of God. The armor of God is provided to insulate and protect us. Can I remind you, we're on a, we're on a defensive battle, not an offensive battle. We don't need to take territory. We are in territory. We need to defend the territory. So that the devil doesn't take pockets of it. It's not a power encounter, it's a truth encounter. And uh, the enemy will bomb you relentlessly until you don't know what truth is. I read a fascinating article this week about what is known as the Nachthexen. In Germany, the Germans were afraid of these women, they were called Nachthexen or night witches. The Soviets put together this uh, team of female bombers in World War II, it's quite remarkable. And they would go out and bomb German cities and uh, all night long so that the people couldn't sleep. And uh, they couldn't have any peace. And so they called them Nachthexen, night witches. And the devil is like that. He bombs relentlessly until he has broken down your reserves. You've got to put on the armor of God so that no matter what he bombs at you, you can defend yourself. Let's read it because for some people we forget that every battle is a truth battle. And the Bible tells us not to fight, but to stand. Remember in the Garden of Eden, what was the first problem? It was a truth battle. The devil said to Eve, Did God really say? Go on the internet, that's the question they're asking. Did God really say you should be under leadership? Did God really say you should join a church? Did God really say you should tithe? That's the big one. Well, money's a touchy subject. You find numerous videos where they tell you you shouldn't tithe. Did God say that his word is all you should live by? Or should we move with the times and the culture? Did God say is the big issue. And when you say, yes, he did, and I won't give an inch, that's when you stand strong. It's always a contest of truth and lies. And it says in Ephesians 6, therefore put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. In other words, don't give any territory. And after you have done everything to stand, are you getting the point? And then he's not finished. He says, stand firm then with the belt of? Truth, you see it's about truth or lies, buckled around your waist, the breastplate of righteousness, and with your feet with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. It's the truth of God's salvation. In addition to this, take up the shield of faith, which is belief and trust in God, which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the Nachthexen Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the spirit on all occasions and on Wednesday night with all kinds of prayer and requests can you see we pray to defend territory not to gain territory because it's not a power struggle it's about standing and there's six things in there that represent truth and uh, so powerful the helmet the shoes the belt the shield the sword and the breastplate it's a truth encounter when you know God's truth you don't just heal are you with me and so you must put on the full armor of God number four you still good got a couple of minutes here die to self by living for purpose. Die to self by living for purpose. The reason your flesh is often alive is because you've lost sight of God's purpose. You've no, you'll notice this, and we've heard this said many, many times. There are pastors who have very large churches, and they're extremely successful, and they're extremely famous, and then they fall into adultery, and you think, what? You are not know happened." They accomplished their purpose, and then they lost sight of purpose. And whenever you lose sight of purpose, pleasure is right at hand to trap you. Don't forget that. You can be very successful as a family, bought a home, cars, you're running your home nicely. But if that's your goal and purpose, and it stops there, pleasure just is on the other side of the wall. we will pull you down. The late J.I. Packer, Canadian theologian and author, said this, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die, wrote Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He says Bonhoeffer was right. Accepting death to everything that carnal self wants to possess is what Christ's summons to self-denial was all about. The Jews in Masada committed suicide, and when they committed suicide, the stronghold was released. We've got to die to self so our strongholds can be broken. Can you say amen? amen? And the cure for self is higher purpose. My friend Steve Penny, who has preached here many times, he said this recently uh, on one of his posts, and I just, it just came to mind, I thought it was so appropriate. He says, if you don't find higher purpose, you will fall for your lower passions. If you don't find your purpose, you will settle for lower performance. If you don't find your purpose, you will enjoy lower pleasures. And if you don't find your purpose, you will travel life's lower paths. Number five, are you still with me? Fasting breaks strongholds. You say, oh, does God free you when you fast? No, you free yourself by self-denial. Fasting is more about us than it is about God. Fasting says it's not about me and what I want and what I feel. It's about you, Lord. And I'm not going to have anything except you. So your appetites are destroyed because you fast. That's why you draw near to God. Are you with me? Don't think that fasting is twisting God's arm. You got him, you got God's arm behind his back. Day one, day two, day ten. God says, okay, 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 receive. No. You are twisting your flesh and going, die, die. And then it comes a day, sometimes day three, sometimes day seven, where you go, I I can sense. I'm over that. In fact, I can walk through the center and smell Krispy Kreme. It's got that sugary smell. You know, you're like, don't eat it in Jesus' name. It's a wonderful feeling. You want to break strongholds? Fast. Deny yourself. Pick up your cross. And you will get the breakthrough. Let me remind you that the very first sin in the Bible was one of eating appetite and when you die appetite obedience usually follows quite soon afterwards neil t anderson has written some very very good books one book he wrote called the bondage breaker and i've been reading his books for probably 20 years now he says it's up to you to choose whether you're going to use your body which includes your brain for sin or for the sake of righteousness number six and i did say i had six points but i got seven I'm just mildly, just mildly tired. I did a wedding in Cape Town yesterday. and uh, Sorry, on Friday. And we stood in the sun for a good few hours. And then we stayed there till late night. And then we went and slept in a room that was very, very hot. Cape Town was, I got in the car, the hired car, and the, the gauge inside said 46. And I'm not used to wearing a tie. So I enjoyed it. And I'm feeling fantastic. But there's just that it's not my age. <laughs> Number six, are you good? Yeah. Number six, listen, guard your heart and mind and build godly strongholds. See, you stand God over your life, but then you've got to build godly strongholds, strongholds of commitment and prayer and giving that cannot be broken. When you read and hear stuff, you're like, no, 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 it's settled. This thing is established. You see, St. Cyril, who we can quote now and again, he was the Bishop of Alexandria in the 400s. He said, the devil has power to suggest evil, but he was not given the power to compel you against your will. So you mustn't let thoughts rule you. You must, you must, you must guard your heart and mind against jealousy and envy and bitterness and lust and all the temptations, and you can rule yourself. And you need to remember this, church. There's a chain here. Your thoughts lead to actions. Isn't that true? And then your actions become habits, isn't that true? And those habits then build strongholds. But where does it start? In your thoughts. So we've got to guard our hearts and minds. And if we've got to guard our hearts and minds, we can't just defend. If you build godly strongholds, there's no place for the enemy to build his strongholds. And you've got to take thoughts captive and uh, make sure that you resist because the enemy is relentless. Thomas Akempis, the that German-Dutch theologian in the 1400s, wrote a lot of very good books and uh, he said this, the devil never sleeps, and your flesh is very much alive. Prepare yourself for battle, surrounding your enemies that never rest. If you read the Bible, we don't have time, but David often in the wilderness when he was being pursued by Saul, the Bible says he went to strongholds, and one of the places was the stronghold of Engedi. gedi It was like a godly place that protected him, and he went and dwelled there. Have you got strongholds where you go and dwell? Or is your mind just open? We've got to serve God and build godly strongholds, but God our minds. Number seven, as we come to a close, have you been helped today? Isn't it good to be in church this early in the morning? You've got the whole day free. Wonderful, eh? Number seven is important. You've got a stronghold in your life. Listen to me today, because this is the thing that the devil wants to do, is worship until it collapses. See, what people say is, I've got these issues, so I'm not coming to church. I can always tell people don't sing in church. They could be new, they could be visiting, they find the songs difficult. But regular members who don't sing generally have strongholds. And you know what we say? I'm not going to be a hypocrite. God welcomes you as you are to be a hypocrite. Because worship is a powerful tool that exalts God and puts our flesh down. And the enemy knows that. (laughs) Erwin Litzer, in his wonderful book, put it like this. He said, God is looking for worshipers. And if the religious elite are too proud or too busy to learn to worship him, he seeks the worship of those whose lives are trapped in moral ruin. So if you're struggling, God doesn't mind if you keep putting him first. Yeah, but I did this, and I did that, and during the week, and my wife and I are fighting, and then there's there this thing at work, and then, you know, on the road, I, was, I, I opened the window, and I used an F word, and it wasn't fellowship or friendship. And, and so you come, here condemned, and the devil says, I got you, baby. i got a stronghold of condemnation. Not, everyone's got weaknesses in the flesh. What we've got to come and do is say, Lord, despite those pockets, I worship you, I lift you up. I exalt you and what you can do, and as you worship, strongholds come down, and if you realize that, remember, we don't have time to read it, remember Jericho, the Bible says Jericho was tightly shut up, and God promised to give Israel the land, remember, what were they, what were they to do to take possession, when the enemy had a stronghold, they were to march around it, and shout to the Lord, all the earth. They went on the last day and they went around seven times and they shouted and guess what? The worship in a sense, the declaration brought the walls down. Come to church, warts and all, problems and all. If the two of you are sulking, if you're married, you come to church and you walk Hello. in the meeting. Now you don't want to sing because she knows and she knows that he's done that and he knows she's done that. And, they, and we're not going to sing so they stand there. The devil has trapped you. We say, I don't care what she thinks. I don't care what he thinks. I'm going to worship God. I'm going to sing. You worship until it collapses. You go home free and you make a fresh start. Thank God for church. Thank God for breakthrough. Amen. And all that was held away from God now becomes devoted to God through our words. And we see God do something. Richard Foster, as I close here this morning, he says, if worship does not change us, it has not been worship." To stand before the Holy One of eternity is to change. Isn't that beautiful? Worship begins in holy expectancy and ends in holy obedience. You see what worship does is it puts God in his rightful place and it brings us back to a place of humility, of confession, and obedience. I believe God wants to break the strongholds in our lives. A lot of it is our responsibility, but a lot of it is quite simple. And you need to recognize that if the enemy wants to build strongholds, you're not enjoying everything God has for you. He doesn't want you to be like Gideon, living in little pockets of blessing. He doesn't want you to have little pockets of cursing in your life. He wants you to be free to take possession of everything he's got for you. But we need to admit it, be humble, confess, and then go on a journey of defeating the enemy. What are you facing today? They can be sexual areas in your life, social areas in your life, financial, emotional, relational, they can be strongholds in your life. Uh, I was thinking of strongholds in families that need to be broken. Sometimes family strongholds develop, and I thought of four, just as I wrap up here this morning. It could be anger, selfishness, resentment, and rebellion. Those are strongholds, and uh, you've got to bring them to the Lord and trust Him to break them. And strongholds, listen, they evolve. They don't just happen. They evolve over time. I don't know if you've heard this, this, this fact, but what's happening with, with bacteria and viruses is that you can take antibiotics and they don't work. Do you know why? Because that thing has evolved. And in your life, if you leave something long enough, it evolves. It can sit in a meeting like this and go, yeah, 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 and then walk out untouched. We need to come to a place where we say, Lord, speak, break it, help me free me, and Bible says if you draw near to God, he'll draw near to you, one last thing here, and I'm like the apostle Paul, I say I'm done, then I'm not, (laughs) I want to remind you that if you have failed, God's not condemning you, I love what uh, Neil Anderson said in his book, Freedom from Addiction, and his books are worth getting, he says we are not sinners in the hands of an angry God, we are saints who sin in the hands of a loving God, isn't that beautiful? today God wants to set people free in this meeting and he wants to give you the breakthrough in your life but are you willing call on friends be determined starve them don't feed them worship until it collapses and have the word of God the salt and the fire in your life to defend your life we hope you have been blessed and inspired by this message